0: Okay, let's. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're in our series on close encounters, and if you look as you turn to John chapter 21 and look at the top of your notes, we've been through three close encounters so far. We've seen Mary Magdalene, the woman who was privileged to first see the risen Lord. Cleopas and his companion on the road to uh, Emmaus. And Thomas, who we said is not simply doubting Thomas, but demanding Thomas. And you can just see the comparison. The whole idea of this series is Jesus meets you where you are. And Mary was there at the garden tomb, and her hopes were dead. And Jesus appears... And she sees him, in any way, as a gardener. And it was a close encounter of the compassionate kind. Jesus simply says, Mary. And she reaches out and clings to him. And he says, look, stop clinging and stop, start going. You have a mission. Our relationship has changed. We, you still can have an intimate, personal relationship, but it's a different one. And it's one where I am the risen Lord. The living proof, the living proof that we really understand Jesus as our risen Lord is that we have a living hope that embraces the risen Lord for who he really is. And then Cleopas and his companion on the Emmaus Road, they're headed in the wrong direction. And Jesus meets them, even though they're headed in the wrong direction, and they're confused, and he comes along them, uh, alongside of them as a traveler. Again, seen as a stranger, their very Lord. And it was a close encounter of the understanding kind. If sanguines could relate to the encounter with Mary, then melancholies could certainly relate to the encounter here with Cleopas. And the proof is this, a living truth... That understands, they needed to understand that before the coming kingdom, there had to be suffering. And that's not just true for Jesus, that's true for us too. And then Thomas, locked room, locked in by fear. And he needed to see Jesus as master, quit making demands on Jesus and understand that Jesus had a claim on his life as the living Lord. And it was a close encounter of the motivating kind, one that phlegmatic personalities could relate to. And the living proof was a living faith that is motivated to obey, not because you see it all and and have it all laid out, but because you trust God and believe His Word. And so here we're at the fourth encounter. We're going to take a couple weeks to look at this one, and it's Peter. Peter, what happens when a powerful cleric encounters the risen Christ? Well... Whatever's going to happen, we know it's going to be confrontational because clerics have a strong will. Peter had a strong will. And so we're going to see how that plays out. Let's look in your Bibles at John 21. And uh, it's actually the whole chapter. But we're, only, we're going to concentrate on, on the first 14 verses today. So let's look at John 21 and uh, follow along in your Bibles as we read verses 1 through 14. After these things, now after these things refers to the, the appearances we've already talked about. The, the three appearances that occurred on the first Easter Resurrection Sunday, Mary, the two on the Emmaus Road, and the locked room without Thomas. But also a week later, it's after the locked room where Thomas is is present. So everything we're going to see in this chapter happens after three visible, close encounters with the risen Lord. And here's what they decide to do. Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. So they've moved from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, so here's two of the guys who have already had close encounters with the risen Lord, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, another one of the apostles, and the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. We don't know who the two other were. Maybe Andrew and Philip, they were from that area. And in John 1, those guys were all hanging together when Jesus called them. But here's what we know. Number three, or number three, verse three, uh, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I just love that. I'm going fishing. Jeff, do you love that? Yeah, Jeff's excited about that. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. Now, remember, these guys were fishermen originally, before Christ called them. John chapter 1, he called them. And what did he call them to be? Fishers of men. But they're going fishing for fish. Okay? After encountering the risen Lord through eyewitnesses at least three times, four times, counting Peter. I'm going fishing. And they said, we will also come with you. And they went out and got in the boat. And that night, a fisherman's nightmare happened. They caught nothing. They caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, as the morning light reached over the horizon, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet, as in these other close encounters, the disciples did not know. It was Jesus. In the words of musician Michael Card, the stranger on the shore. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not... And children is a term of endearment, so he's not demeaning them. He's actually saying... The stranger is saying, hey, we have a close relationship. Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, "Now, no. Okay, now I just, you know, I'm no fisherman. I'm I'm the guy on the beach, okay? Whenever you walk by people fishing, what do you always say? Caught Caught anything, okay? And the fisherman has one of two reactions. What are they, Jeff? (laughs) Right, (laughs) Whether, whether that's true or not, right, whether that's true or not. So, I mean, you're either going to be irritated, and when are you going to be irritated with that question? When you caught nothing, when are you going to be excited? Like, when are you, hey, here's someone coming. Look what I've caught. You know, you're not even going to wait for the question. But look how Jesus puts the question. He puts the question. He doesn't say, have you caught anything, which is what we would typically ask. What he says, because he's Jesus and he knows what they've done all night, he says, you haven't caught anything, have you? Would that be irritating? Yeah, you fished all night. You haven't caught anything, have you? And they have to answer no. And he says to them, only, th- only one more thing is irritating to a fisherman than asking, asking, hey, you haven't caught anything, have you? Would be to then give them advice on fishing. Right? Okay, and this is exactly what he does. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of the fish. Now, you know, there's not invisible walls in the water, you know. So it's not like they've been casting on the left side all night, and yet there's this huge school of fish just waiting for them on the right side. This is a miracle. And so, therefore, uh, it was so great that they were not able to haul it into the boat. Verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved which we know from reading the gospel of John this is John himself said to Peter it is the Lord so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea which sounds which is very Typical of Peter. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now, I'm sure they really love Peter, leaving them to haul the net of fish in, you know, as he's swimming to go see Jesus. So, verse 9, when they got out of the land, they saw, saw a charcoal fire. This is always exciting to me, a little barbecue, a little grilling going on. already laid, and the fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Now Jesus doesn't need that fish. He already has miracu- miraculously provided them fish, and yet he asked them to cast the net, and they had a great catch. And he says, "Here, bring what you brought, bring what you caught as well." Verse eleven. Simon and Peter went up and drew the net to land. Now I'm sure that you know. They, again, we hauled it in. Now he's you know like claiming the catch. Drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. They went from zero to one hundred and fifty-three big ones, Jeff. And although there were so many, the the net was not torn. The net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, this is just really ironic. I mean, just think through this. Here's the risen Lord, who has all sorts of things going on in the universe. And he says, Hey, let's, let's... Let's have a fish fry for breakfast. Sit down, relax, you've been cold, you've been working all night. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? And again, the idea is, we know it's you, but this whole thing is kind of like blowing our mind, and we have all sorts of questions, and but we don't want to ask them. Jesus came and took the bread, and he gave it to them, and the fish likewise. What does that sound like? It sounds like John chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000, which in the Gospel of John is the only other place that bread and fish are eaten in the whole Gospel. So he's taking them back and wanting them to remember the lessons from the feeding of the 5,000. Now he's feeding the seven. Verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time meaning the first time being... Uh, he's counting from his appearances to all the disciples, not just Mary alone, not just Peter alone alone. Third time to all the disciples. As we read through the Gospel of John, first time would be on Easter, locked room, the ten are there. Second time is one week later, also on resurrection on a Sunday, uh, Sunday to the 11, and now the third time here to the seven. Although seven might represent more than just a literal number, it could also represent a number of completion and represent all the disciples. But uh, we definitely know seven were there. So let's take a look at this. Okay, what, what, what do we see? Well, this is a close encounter. And by the way, verses 15 on then follows to a little confrontation around the fire in order to restore Peter. And we'll look at that in the weeks to come. But for now, I want you to see there's uh, at least four significant differences from these other close encounters that we've seen. The first one is when it happened. We've gone from Him appearing on the first day of the week, Sunday, to Him appearing on no particular day. We don't know what day it is. It was the fishing day. Maybe it was, you know, we just don't know. We don't know what day it was. But it's significant because here's the point. And this is why I like teaching on the appearances after Easter. The resurrection isn't just an Easter event. It's not just a Sunday event. The resurrection has implications for every day of the week, even when you're out fishing. All right? Second difference is where it happened. Up to now, all the appearances have happened in Jerusalem. Now we're in Galilee of the Gentiles. And now we're no longer inside a house that's with doors locked, and we're no longer by an empty tomb, but we're out in the world, it's outside. The point is, the resurrection, He's Jesus is moving his disciples to understand that this great event is not a church religious event. It's an event that sends us on a mission to all peoples. That's why we're doing the night of power tonight. That's why we're praying through the 30 days for Islamic people. Because Jesus is risen. Amen? It's not about angels going up and down. It's not about some man who was immoral and violent and and claimed to be a prophet. It's not about that. It's about the risen Lord. Amen? Amen? And that's the idea that he's Lord over everything. And then notice who. This is, we've gone from just individuals or all the disciples to the seven, and these seven were very close. In fact, these seven might have been in the fishing business together. We know Peter and Andrew was. We're not sure if Andrew was there, but he was probably one of the two unnamed. We know James and John were in business with Peter and Andrew. They're going back to their old business, their old occupation in their home, uh, back in their backyard. And so who is being revealed is interesting. And then finally, how Jesus reveals is different. He's gone from just suddenly appearing to this time he actually is performing a miracle. And yet he's not performing the miracle, is he? He simply said, cast your net on the other side. And when they simply obeyed the command, that's when they understood Jesus is with us. Listen, you're never going to draw close to the risen Lord being a disobedient disciple. You're never going to draw close. You're never going to sense his presence. You're never going to see his power at work. He's never going to use you to do significant things for His kingdom if you live a disobedient life. That's the main lesson here. Cast your net on the other side. When they do that, then that's when John says, Whoa, it's the Lord. Deja vu all over again. You know, this is the second time in the Gospels where they had a miraculous catch of fish. And John catches on, and yet this appearance is also interesting because it takes... It takes up a whole chapter, and it's really an awkward, this is an awkward time, okay? So, because here's the deal, it it takes place in this extended way, it involves a awkwardly silent breakfast. They sit with Jesus, he provides breakfast, and it says, After verse 15 says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says, I'm telling you, Peter, you ever been in a breakfast where you're with some, or been with someone who you guys were crossways and you needed to reconcile and you hadn't yet done it, but you're in the same room or you're at the same event or you're sitting at the same table. I mean, Jesus and Peter have unfinished business and they're sitting there at this, I mean, it's just, it just. It seems awkward. There's an awkward silence about the breakfast around the fire. And by the way, the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned in the Gospel of John is the fire around which Peter warmed his hands and denied Christ three times. Now we have a charcoal fire that he's going to ask him three times, do you love me? Awkward. There's some awkwardness there. Secondly... Uh, There's going to be this humbling cross-examination, and we don't know. We don't know if uh, if Jesus is examining Peter around the fire with the other disciples listening in. Awkward. Or they may have gotten up, and Jesus may have walked with Peter along the beach. Because later we're going to see another awkward moment. John is stalking them as they're taking this walk... And Jesus is talking to Peter and basically telling Peter, hey, you're you're going to follow my lordship into martyrdom and you will be crucified upside down. And John is like, stalking. He's kind of tagging along when he's not invited. And then Peter looks behind and sees him. And then Peter sticks his nose in John's business and says, what about him, Lord? And Jesus says, you mind your own business and follow me. This is so awkward. This, the whole thing is just very awkward, very interesting. And yet it pulls you in. Well, Notice the structural details. I won't go over those with you, but you can see it's it's around fish and fishing, and yet fishing really have nothing to do with it. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, let's go fishing. Verses 4 through 6, you haven't caught anything, have you? Listen to me, cast him on the right side. John, the recognition, 7 and 8, it is the Lord. John recognizes, but Peter responds, jumps in and swims to Jesus. 9 through 14, the invitation, come have breakfast. You did all that work, got nothing. You listened to me, had a full catch. But hey, I've already got everything provided for you. 15 through 19, do you love me more than these? Is Jesus pointing to the fish or to the other disciples? We don't know, but it's confrontational. And then 20 through 23, don't worry about the others, follow me. You know, Peter's like, what about John? This guy's tagging along. Don't worry about him. And then verses 24 through 25, the, the trustworthy testimony that wraps up the whole gospel of John. So, this morning, let's focus on verses 1 through 14. And let's look at just, we're following the same pattern for all these encounters. And we're only going to look at the first point, And that is, who are these disciples? What, what kind of disciples are they? And I would suggest to you that these are carnal followers. Carnal Maybe casual, maybe simply casual. Hey, what else are we going to do with our time? We're waiting on Jesus to finally ascend. Let's go fishing. But I would say to you, these are carnal followers. The seven were busy but barren disciples. They were busy but barren disciples. They had fished all night and caught what? Nothing. Jesus shows up cast your net on the other side and they catch more than enough. They were busy but barren disciples. Mary was a compassionate follower who was lamenting her die, her dead hopes. Okay? The two on the way to Emmaus were confused followers who had reached the dead end of their reasoning. Thomas was a conflicted follower who wanted to follow, but was making demands. Here we have, I think, carnal or casual followers. And the big question we need to ask is, why did Peter say, let's go fishing? Why? Why is this this significant? And how significant is it? In other words, was he being carnal and going fishing when he should have been fishing for men? Or was he being... Just casual and just doing what needed to be done after all didn't they still need to eat right yeah they need to eat and uh, and and maybe he was just doing what they enjoyed maybe they were just hey you got to do something let's go fishing so which is it well I would lean toward it being a carnal and selfish act on Peter's part and I'll show you why now some people disagree with that that's fine but you, you have to come to some conclusion on it. Um, and so we'll look at this not only today, but in the next couple of weeks. Now, look at verse three. The text doesn't say why Peter and they went fishing. All we know is Peter initiated it, and the others followed. But I think when we look at the, the whole, the immediate context of 20 and 21, when we look at the whole context of the gospel, we're going to see whether Peter was just being carnal or casual, um. One thing's for sure, the focus is on the fact that they fished all night alone and caught nothing. But when Jesus shows up and they listen to him, they catch much. All right? We can at least say that. Um, As uh, one commentator, as I was studying this out, he said this, The focus is not so much on why they went fishing, but how the fishing went. And how it went is directly related to who is absent when they caught nothing and who is present when they caught much. Okay, And so let's take a look at it. Let's look at uh, four truths for busy but barren disciples. Four truths for busy but barren. And the first one is this. We live in a tension between the now and the not yet. We live in a tension between the now and the not yet. Here's what I want you to understand. One of the reasons it's hard to understand why they went whether they went fishing was was just okay or bad is because they're living in this tension between the resurrection and the ascension. It's this weird in-between time. Christ is risen, they know it, he's appeared to them, and yet He hasn't ascended, the spirit hasn't fully come down, the church hasn't been born. They're in this weird in-between time. They're trying to adjust their lives to the fact that Jesus has risen bodily, but he's not always present. Okay? And so it raises the question, what, what, what questions might have they had? I mean, here's Jesus, boop, hi, I'm risen, watch me eat, boop, he's gone. Whoop, I'm here a week later. Hi, I'm risen, I'm gone. Go meet me in Galilee. I've got further instructions. Things are gonna be exciting. Let's talk about the kingdom. Boop, I'm gone. Now what do you do with that? What do they do in the meantime? How do they fill their time? Should they fish? Should they not fish? What are we going to eat? Do we return to our old jobs? You see, this was a very difficult period of adjustment. And here's what I would say to you listen up. We too live between the now and the not yet. We don't live between the resurrection and the ascension. What do we live between? The ascension and the second coming. But we have the same struggle. Jesus is not only risen, but He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Have you seen Him lately? No. I'm down here. He's up there. Yes, I have the Spirit in me. Yes, I'm a part of this local church and the body of Christ. But what do I do in the meantime? Do we fill our time? How do we fill our time in each season of our lives? you realize that we have to keep asking this question during every season of our life? What do I do until Christ returns if I'm single? What do I do if I'm married? What do I do with my time until Christ appears if I'm single again and didn't plan on it? What about parents? What do they do? in this now and not yet time? What about empty nesters? What about retired people? I don't know. Jerry will tell us. We'll, we'll follow his example. What do we do in these different seasons of life? And, you know, we won't pick on Jerry, but he's the fresh meat here in the room. Uh, you do ask questions, do you not? It's a, Is it an adjustment period? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you went from listening to a boss, and now you listen to another boss. <laughs> Look at me. Honey-do list. All right. So, what do we do? This is a crucial question. What do we do with our time? Do we just show up at church, take some notes, go back and do our fishing thing? Do we serve the Lord when we don't have kids, but then when kids come, we shift our focus to those kids? Do we serve the Lord to be an example to our kids, but when they're out of the house, then we kind of go back and doing our thing? what see this is the adjustment there's a tension is there not we live life in the now and the not yet what should we be doing and i think that's the tension here and i can't help but think of uh some of these high profile suicides that just happened anthony bourdain think of kate spade but also think of some recent comments like anthony hopkins who said this to young actors aspiring actors you know, I meet young people, and they want to act, and they want to be famous. And I tell them, when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up there. Most of this is nonsense. Most of this is a lie. Man, that's a pretty amazing comment by an Oscar winner who is a master at his craft. Okay, And there's a reason why a guy who can travel the world and have all the liquor, all the drugs, all the women, and all the fame would take their life. Because they're living between the now and not yet, and they don't know Jesus. But you know what's sad? Is we who know Jesus sometimes just spend our life fishing. Instead of living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is the tension that I think these guys are struggling with. And therefore, it's not really clear, was fishing good or bad? I don't know that we can necessarily say that, but something was going on because they caught nothing when Jesus was absent and they caught much when he was present, when they obeyed his commands, So let's take a look. Here's the issue. Tension can become temptation. Look at point number two. Tension can become temptation. We are tempted to return to our old way of life. As you and I live between the now and the not yet, we are tempted like these guys were to return to our old way of life. Because as you go through these seasons, and the longer you serve the Lord, you can get more tired, you can get more distracted. As Americans, we accumulate more things that take more time, draw more money, and pretty soon that tension of the now and not yet becomes a temptation. So look at verse 3. I think that's what's going on in verse 3. I'm going fishing. Well, guess what? We don't have anything else to do. We will go with you. Were they wrong? Were they abandoning their call, or were they just distracted? Was this an aimless activity that lacked eternal purpose? Resurrection or not, didn't they have to eat and make a living? Were they being carnal or spiritual? That's the question. And I would say to you, yes and no. Yes and no. And here's why. Tension, the tension, can become a temptation. And I think these seven were dangerously close to crossing that line from something that is good and fine to something that was becoming maybe an idol and a distraction to their greater purpose. And so Jesus says, we're going to have a close encounter of the real kind. So here's what I'm going to present to you. Is going fishing what they should be doing in light of the context of the Gospel of John. I'm going to give you, I think I've got seven here, seven reasons why I think they were getting off track. I think they were headed in a carnal or misdirected direction. First of all, number one, the climax of verses 28, chapter 20, 28 through 31. Now just think of this. Here's Jesus reveals himself two times in a locked room. Thomas goes, You know, and he's like, hey, reach in, come on, start reaching, stop, stop believing, unbelieving, start being a believer, and Thomas doesn't touch, he doesn't, he's convicted, falls on his knees, I would imagine, and says, my Lord and my God, and Peter says, let's go fishing. It just, you know what I mean, there's just something, I don't know, something there, that's number one. Number two, the commissioning. In chapter 20, they just got done getting commissioned in verses 21 through 23. Chapter 20 through tw- 21 through 23, Jesus appears and says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And Peter says, Let's go fishing. <laughs> For fish. For fish, okay? And then he says, uh, uh, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will be forgiven. I mean, they're on a mission to save people. And Peter kind of just says, Hey, you know, a couple weeks later, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Number three, they're calling. They're calling. In, verse, in chapter 1, this whole gospel begins with John pointing to Jesus and saying behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and several of these same men in fact maybe all seven of them are called out and Jesus calls them come follow me isn't it interesting gospel of John chapter 1 begins with Jesus saying to these guys follow me and John chapter 21 ends with Jesus saying Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Men. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. Okay? I'm going fishing. Number four, the concern of John 6 and the laboring for eternal food. John 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. And I already told you that there's only two times in the Gospel of John where fish and bread are eating. John 6 and John Twenty-one, And so in John 6, Jesus, the lesson in John 6 is you ought to be working. These, these people were running all over, uh, all around Galilee trying to track Jesus down for a handout. And he said, you're working so hard for physical bread, you ought to be working for eternal. You ought to be doing the eternal work of God. Right. And he also says to them in John 6... I have come to do the Father's will. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I think they were doing their own work and following their own will, and Jesus shows up to say, Remember John 6? I've got eternal things for you to do. It doesn't mean you can't go fishing, it just means you fish for eternal reasons. You recreate for eternal reasons. Your mission is not to do your own thing. It's to do my thing. Number five, the confession. Following the the, in John 6, after Jesus turns away the crowds from bread, everybody leaves, so he turns to these disciples, these same dudes. He turns to them and says, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter says... No, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And now Peter's going to do some more confessing. So it's just, it's, it's interesting. Number six, the compromise of chapter 18 and the need for restoration. in chapter 18 is the only other place where the charcoal fire shows up. And in that charcoal fire, as I've already said, Peter denies Christ three times. In a moment, around another charcoal fire, one that Jesus has provided, Peter is going to be reconciled and restored by being asked three times, Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, though? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. Then feed my sheep and follow me. There's something going on here. There's something going on here. And then number seven, the confrontation that I just recounted in John 21. And so here's what I think is going on. When I look at verse three, in light of that context, I think, Peter is returning to the old way of life. And let me give you five characteristics of that from just that statement, I'm going fishing. Okay? So here's number one. The question for you and I, whether we're carnal or spiritual, is are you living according to the old way before you were saved or are you living in the new way now that you're born again? And here's the differences. Number one, I think he returned to his old purpose in life, and our old purpose in life was looking out for who? Who did we looked out for before we knew Christ? Number one. Who's number one? Your spouse? No, no, no. Uh, you know, uh, lost people? No. Who, who do we look out for when we're unsaved? Ourselves. You say, but I know a lot of unsaved people that care about other people. Yeah, but it's all about them, they care for others. For what it does for them. They're not doing it for a higher purpose to the true Creator. So he says, I am. I'm going. He starts with me, himself. Secondly, old priorities in life. What is the old priority in life? Take care of self, satisfy self. Take care of self, satisfy self. I'm going. I'm going to take care of me because if I don't take care of me, who else is going to take care of me? I'm going to do... And maybe you're like, hey, this whole thing's about fishing, and I can't stand fishing. I'm going golfing. I'm going whatever your hobby is. I'm going to build a name for myself. I'm going... You see what I'm saying? I'm going to take care of my family and make them the center of my life. Whatever you put into there, the old priority was taking care of self. But hey, what did Jesus show them? They fished all night and caught what? Nothing. And what was already prepared on the beach? Everything they needed. Everything they needed. Okay? Three, our old pursuits in life. Our old pursuits in life. Fishing for fish. Fishing for themselves, living for themselves. I'm going fishing. Number four, the old power in life. Self-effort, human wisdom. Self-effort, human wisdom. But what does self-effort get you? I'm going fishing, and they fished all night and caught Nothing. nothing. Did these guys know how to fish? Had they made a living at fishing? They knew everything there was about what they were doing, and it yielded nothing, and I would say nothing of eternal value was the point. If they fished long enough, would they have caught some fish? Yeah. But the point was you're doing something in an effort, of self effort and you might be doing it for good reasons and what you be you, what you're doing may not be sinful but it's not going to be eternal in its results. And then number 5, the old personality. Peter's powerful personality. Peter's choleric personality. I'm going fishing and what do the other six guys do? We're going with you. Why? Because Lee, Peter was a natural leader. He had the influence, right? He had he took the initiative. I'm going. You guys follow. But what he lacked at this point was the integrity to lead in an f- eternal purpose and with eternal results. I find it interesting that Peter the leader, the natural leader, Peter the chosen. Uh, apostle to lead the other apostles who 's the first to recognize Jesus who 's the first in the story? John, not Peter. okay so for all his initiative, all his leadership, all his personality, listen, you can 't figure this Jesus thing out with your own personality, your own intellect, your own emotions, and your own pers- your own just skill set you can't do it and yet to peter's credit who was the first to respond jesus uh, peter did he jumped in that boat and he went after it now he's going to get confronted (laughs) once he gets there but that's all right because he submitted to the rebuke and he accepted the reconciliation and he repented and in acts two he sets the world on fire amen isn't that cool encouraging so there's the old manner of life so here's the bottom point let's let's end with this and we'll pick the rest of this up to, uh, next week we are tested we are tested by the risen lord to repent and live in a, live a new way of life and so we'll we'll pick up here next week and we'll see that the the old purpose is replaced by a new one the old priority there's new priorities The old pursuits are replaced by new ones. The old power with new power. And here's the other good news. The old personality that all all of us have, that's God-given, but distorted by sin, we get a Christ-like personality. Amen? And that's why Peter's so different in the book of Acts, because God changed him. So, here's what I want you to do. You know, so as you, you know, we got to put our notes away and we're going to leave this room, but I don't want you to leave the teaching. I want you to think between now and next Sunday, what's my temptation in the now and not yet? What am I tempted to say? I'm going to do what? What's your temptation? I can't tell you what that is. I may have suspicions. I may, may, if I know you well, I may think I know. But at the end of the day, you need to ask who? The stranger on the shore. What is it that I'm tempted to do in the tension between the now and the not yet? Christ has risen, is exalted, and he's coming again. What is it that's taking my time and might be a distraction? Amen. So you think about it, and then we'll come back next week and look at how that's reconciled and how we can have hope in that. Let's go to the Lord, and let's pray. Father, thank you for being the stranger on the shore in our lives. Thank you for showing up when we might be distracted or or, tim- or, or at, at, on the edge of going in the wrong direction in our lives, and, and you show up because you meet us where we are. But you never leave us that way. And so, Lord, I pray that this week we'll be thinking about what is it that we're doing without consulting you? What is it that we're living life through? We may be doing it for you, but we're not really doing it with you. And we're not really doing it with an obedient life. Lord, show us what that is because you love us and you have a greater purpose, greater priority for us. Father, let us learn from the stranger on the shore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.